You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to a special report on the Legal Talk Network. My name is Adriana Linares and I'm reporting live from the Florida Bar Annual Convention. This is a pretty special day. It's the first day of the convention and I'm very excited to be surrounded by, I kind of wish this was a video, some very interesting and exciting speakers that we had at the Clio Cloud Conference called In Session. Uh, It was a special day for listeners who don't know what I'm talking about. We at the bar, and I'm a consultant to the bar, I don't work for the bar, but we invited uh, Clio, which is a practice management company, to help us put on a spectacular and amazing technology conference. And I have in front of me, one, two, three, four, five, six of the speakers that were here today. So we're going to try to do a group podcast. We're going to do it, actually. We're not going to try. We're actually doing it. So I'm going to start off by just going uh, and letting everyone introduce themselves real quick. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you were here speaking about. So I'm going to start with the lovely lady to my left. Thank you. I'm Carolyn Elephant. I am a practicing attorney in D.C. and I blog myshingle.com. I was talking about what I always talk about at my blog, making solo and small firm practices sustainable, using technology to do it. Thank you. I'm Mark Britton. I'm the founder of Avo. And um, I was talking a little bit about technology, but anytime a group of lawyers come in for a technology conference, their brains kind of freeze up. And I was trying to help them understand that ultimately technology is just a tool for running their practices better and ultimately delivering great customer service. Jabez? Uh, My name is Jabez Labret, co-founder of GNGF, a business solutions provider for law firms. And today I was talking about uh, marketing and ethics, really kind of hitting on the ethics components and competence issues surrounding being online and just marketing in general uh, for law firms. Uh, Before I let you go, Let's Uh talk about that name. Jabez. Labrette. Yes. Where did this come from? Well, I'm half Italian. The last name's French. First name's out of the Old Testament. So it's one big identity crisis. But (laughs) other than that, it's... uh not, not the most common name on the fence, that's for sure. Right. If we Google you, there's probably one. There, there is only one. That's luckily. unusual. That is unusual. That, amazing. And our next guest, can't wait to hear from you. Hey, Jack. Hey, Jana. Tell us about yourself and what you're here talking about today. Sure. So I'm Jack Newton. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Clio. And today at the In Session Conference, I was speaking about taking your practice to cloud nine and more specifically about how lawyers can leverage the cloud to deliver uh, an innovative cloud experience to their clients that helps them drive significant competitive advantage. Super. Let's move on to our next guest. Hi, I'm Toby Brown. I'm the Chief Practice Officer for Aiken Gump, and you probably wonder what that might be. Uh, Tell us more. Primary to my role is legal pricing, but I also... I'm really sort of the tip of the sword in terms of change, and my job is um, re-engineering our firm sort of to meet the needs of the future. And so I talked about legal pricing, I talked about profitability, and and how firms, different approaches firms can take to make their work more profitable, and then I layered it into how that might apply to all types of practices. Very interesting. I think you just blew every listener's mind. Okay. Ernest? Uh, I'm Ernie Svensson. I live in New Orleans where we have a good time. I practiced law in a 
big firm for New Orleans standards, and then I went out on my own because I figured out how to be paperless. So the day I left my firm, I just closed my laptop, walked out, and started practicing law as a solo, doing the same kind of work I did before. Now Thank I you. teach lawyers how to do the same thing. Excellent. Very good. So, uh, the, you know, this is a big group, but I really want this to be quite conversational. So I sat in everyone's sessions today, maybe not the whole session, but parts of it. And I found that a very interesting trend that all of you talked about, and I don't, obviously you didn't plan this on purpose. And while we were all here to talk about technology and how it's transforming the law, what was very interesting was all of you were at some point bringing in the customer service perspective, which I think is not what anybody expects when they're coming to a technology conference. So I just want to, again, just kind of go around and ask each of you to sort of talk about how your use of technology has improved or somehow helped with your client relationships and building either making it better or sort of creating a relationship that maybe wasn't there from each of your perspectives. Why don't we start with you, Carolyn? Okay, well, actually, this is one of my peeves. I, clients aren't customers in my sorry, views. Right. I'm sorry, well, I don't mean to, the, like, That's okay, you know, yeah, But, yeah. It, I mean, the, the concept is, is, is the same. Sure. I guess the way that I've used technology is, I, I mean, I, I just use it in very basic ways. Um, I've used it to just be more responsive. I sometimes will um, answer texts from clients, emails, so that I can respond to them very quickly. And I guess I also can make documents available um, online that they can access on their own. So I'll often provide them with the source material for various pleadings that I file. Some of them are very interested in, in looking at that information. So. And you fi do you find that they appreciate that? They like that? They're like, wow, I, you know, this is a, a different concept that I can actually go on there, look at my documents, and be able to communicate with you about them in a different way other than a phone call? Yes, no, they, they definitely like it, and um, and I like having a second set of eyes on anything that I write, especially from a client, so I think it leads to a lot of good um, discussion. Um, I, I also do mostly flat fee arrangements to to encourage discussions with, with clients, because otherwise I feel like they don't call, they feel like the, the meter is running, so I build that into my, my services, the, the ability to have these phone calls or emails back and forth, so I think that's how technology has helped with the client service angle. I mean, in my practice, technology has really helped in a lot of other ways in terms of being able to research issues or present issues differently, but that, that's the client service angle where technology is really given the most support. Excellent. What about you, Mark? And, and, and so this is a totally different perspective, right? Because we have Carolyn, who's a solo practitioner, and we have Mark, and you were a practicing lawyer. Was. It's not as if you came out of nowhere and decided to start a legal technology company or a marketing company, but you were a practicing lawyer and then you became this big thing. Huge, actually. Yeah, yeah. we like huge. <laughs> huge is good. Galactically large. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, we're actually starting to reach this uh, point in what I'll call practice or technology education where lawyers are finally realizing that they need to be technologically savvy but it can't be the entire equation. Like technology is only a tool. And so to the extent that you are not as a lawyer building genuine connections with your customers, to the extent that you're not using it as a communication vehicle or a way to be a better lawyer and deliver better technical legal services, 
to the extent that you're not using technology to interact with your clients over the long term, well then you're failing in technology. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like that there are all these consultants that are out there and they're they're frightening lawyers with this idea that like technology, if you're not like writing your own code, <laughs> you, you know, you're you're just not you're not lawyers you do not law. need to be writing your own code and that's it couldn't be farther from that it's all about building connections and how technology can help you uh, uh, enhance those connections Jabez, what what do you have to say uh, you know their service came into the components probably two two spots today one of them being creating a frictionless environment for people to get information. So that's making it easy for them to use your website, easy to get access to information, not making it, uh, you know, making sure things are mobile ready and the way that we use the world. Where that kind of starts to bleed over is that, you know, if you think about it, your clients, uh, the other part that really came up today for me is like how much your clients use social media. And you may not use Twitter, but your clients might. And you may not use Facebook, but your clients may use Facebook. And so uh, you're talking about you know, the importance of a lawyer understanding the, how those networks function, not how to use them to market their services, but so that they can provide proper guidance and advice to their clients and say, hey, be careful about posting this in this certain you know, network or watch out for this is not pub, you know, this isn't private, this is a public area that people interact, and then that way you're educating them. And so you know, we're really trying to educate lawyers to help them understand how this stuff all works so that they can properly advise their clients as well. Hi, Jack. Hello, Adriana. Your voice has really changed. <laughs> and it's deepened. I, I think my, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. deepened a little bit. So um, just to recap the question, because it's been three guests since we asked it. Uh, we were just talking about the fact that customer service or client service, as Carolyn prefers to call it, is was a weirdly normal theme through everyone's conversations. And just a quick couple words about how technology helps, enhances, like maybe what you heard, what you saw, as you know, of course, as, as, as the organizer of this whole event, why we're all here. Yeah, so I was actually just talking with Mark about this before we, we started the panel here about how I wish we could say we were smart enough to have coordinated how yeah. consistent and coordinated a theme across the day was, but it really did all gravitate around different facets of this customer centricity, customer service angle, and um, for me at least, the, what I've seen is the conversation has really evolved from a conversation around the security and ethics of cloud computing, and everyone being kind of caught up in this, is it okay debate for the last five years, to a point where I think we're finally past yeah, the tipping I feel point that. on cloud computing. I, I, I feel like we're past that. Yeah, we're totally past that. And now it's allowed the conversation just to evolve to not, you know, is it acceptable for us to use cloud computing, but okay, we're using cloud computing. How do we leverage this to deliver better client experiences to, you know, as, as Suskin talked about in his talk today, to practice law in ways that we were not able to in the past. And that's what the cloud enables, and we sh that's how we should be thinking about it, is now we've got a new tool, how do we innovate with it? Let's stop, stop the discussion around yeah, we're tired of that. ethics and security. Right. They're important considerations, Absolutely. but I think the it's mother covered. may I discussion is, is over, and we're now thinking about how do we leverage the cloud and how do we use it to transform the way we interact with clients, um, and how do we start interacting with clients the way they want to interact uh, with us as lawyers. Great, Toby? Okay, where I really touch on client service, and I, I also think it's interesting that became a theme, yeah. because it's core to what I like to talk about, is making fees part of the client conversation. Because sure. you're, you're no not surprises. only Yeah, you're not only solving the client's legal problem, but you want to make sure you do that in a very 
transparent way when it comes to fees, so they're not surprised. So when they pay the, the fee, they're happy they, they, for what they got and what they paid for. Now, how we're using technology there, or how I would suggest using technology. And you're with technology. a very large firm. So your perspective is a little different than maybe Carolyn's, but I'm going to come back to her in a second and ask her how she communicates the same message but to I, her clients. I agree, but I actually think the principle applies across the board. And what, we're, what we want to be doing, and we already have it in our plans for technology, is very transparent in terms of our fees. I want clients to be able to see our fees in real time so that they know it's the 25th of the month. And in my world, it's called accrual. The client calls and says, I need to put on the books for June what the fee is going to be for June. And so I need to have that information today. And Excellent. so for, for us, but I would think in any yeah. segment of the market, having the clients have transparent access to that. So that's something we're using technology to accomplish. This so, is Jabez. You could put yeah. like an Apple Watch ticker. Where it just like goes and shows. Yeah, oh like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be stressful at all. <laughs> no, not at all. And Carolyn, so what do you think about what Toby said from, from a complete, the opposite end of the spectrum as a solo? Are you very transparent? And how do you communicate to, that to the clients? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, I really, one of my peeves is when solo Another say, peeve. Yeah, I'll have a full of peeves, uh, is when they talk about how we can't predict pricing. And that makes you look like a moron. I mean, is, have you never handled a case before? Can you not figure out, you know, what certain, some of the uncertainties will be? I can always, I, I can call a case very easily. And so I, I have moved over mostly to flat fees. I will define the scope of deliverables in the uh, representation agreement. That's why I always change that first paragraph on the scope of work. And I'll detail all of the things that I'm providing in that scope, including back and forth emails so that they know that they're able to email me without worrying about running the meter. Um, they usually budget for the fees. I, I've only been stiffed on a bill once and that was, and, and I knew I was going to be stiffed on it. I mean, the client would, you know, had basically said that he wasn't going to be able to pay, but it was an issue he really wanted to pursue. And I had gotten a lot of fees from him beforehand. So I think one of the problems that, one of the things that concerns me about many solo and small firm practitioners is they're not forthright about what the fees will be right. with clients. And then they act surprised when the client can't pay the bill because they didn't budget for it. I and mean, sometimes they, or, or they're upset that it's higher than they thought it was going to be. Why do you think that attorneys are like that? Why can't they just say what it's I think, yeah, I think they're afraid that the, the client isn't going to hire them, that they'll go to somebody else. Um, I know that I have a little bit of an advantage in that respect because a lot of the work that I do, I'm really, I, I don't have a lot of competition. There's only one or two people who do a lot of the right, types so. of work that I do. Um, you know, if you're a divorce attorney who is the only person, you know, who's competing against 10 other people. But I think that's where listing the scope of work, because when a client sees that you're going to do 20 different things as part of that fee, right. they will take that Stuff into account. Stuff they didn't account. even think of. Exactly. Right. Like, right. Yeah. I know that like once when I hired a kitchen contractor, one person had given me a flat fee estimate um, that was about $10,000 lower than another contractor, but the flat fee person didn't say what he was going to do. They were like, the redo kitchen. Yeah. Right. The other one <laughs> had like the whole line five pages of, of deliverables. So that made the difference for me. And I think it's not that different with clients either. So. See, I, I would tie it back because more and more I see clients, and, and your point, this is the no surprises thing, where clients at my level are in the same position as yours. If we go over the budget by 10%, 
they don't have 10% more money sitting in a bucket somewhere to be paid. They have to take that money from somewhere else. So where you might be a, an individual and it's got to come out of their rent or whatever, with mine, they're like, I had one client say, if you go over budget, I have to fire somebody. So I really think it's, in terms of client service, it's sure. it's the same thing. So This sounds like a no-brainer to me. Now, Ernie, I want you to chime in real quick. And you have a different perspective, I think, because you're, you're not a lawyer anymore. You well, are. I, I am a still a lawyer. You, well, okay. <laughs> Once a lawyer. I'm sorry. Practice, not a practicing yeah. lawyer. Yeah, yeah, let me yeah, let me yeah. correct. You're not a practicing <laughs> lawyer, but you also you help lawyers go paperless, be paperless, and do a lot of other other things. But just to finish up the round, yeah, sure. from a customer service perspective, how or why is that important? Well, you know what's funny? The customer service perspective when you're using technology, and I used it in my practice when I practiced, it, it touches a lot of different areas. So things that you you don't think about. Like for example, when I was in the big firm and we had a lot of paper and a client would say, hey, get me this closed file because there was this document and can you get it? Well, in the big firm with paper, we had to send in a request. It took two days to get it. Then you had to rifle through the documents. And by the time you sent it back to the client, yeah, maybe they still remember what they wanted it for. But you know, it was a cumbersome process. Whereas as a solo with no paper, my closed files were always available to me just like my regular files. And they'd say, but their, their perspective was, oh, gee, it will take you a long time to get this closed file because you used to be at the big firm and you know, we're still not sure if you can do that same work you did at the big firm. And I'd say, well, no, there's no problem. I can get you that document in like one minute. And they'd say, really? You're really? joking. One minute later, I'd had it pulled up. It was in an email attached. I sent it out. And that was the first time a client ever told me in an email, Ernie, you rock, which felt good. But what they were really saying was, we know that you're on top of our information. And so from that point forward, they would give me more work and they had confidence in my ability to deliver that, that work quickly, effectively, cost effectively, but efficiently. They liked that. You know, so that's a client service element that people say, well, why should I scan my documents? Well, it's because your clients will like it if you scan your documents. I like to see documents on my Apple Watch now <laughs> while I'm driving. No, I didn't say that part. So I feel like we have a lot of these really amazing experts here, and I, I don't want to be the one talking and asking all the questions. So I'm just going to sort of ask each of you, like a normal conversation would be if we were having dinner and drinking wine. Ernie, if you could ask anybody at this table a question, what would it be? Well, I'd ask Jabez this question because he knows a lot about websites, which are critically important for lawyers in today's market. I'll give you $5 for saying that. Keep going. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like, I, I learned accidentally the value of this because I started a blog and, you know, it got traction. But ha having learned it accidentally and then, then learning who knows this stuff and who can help lawyers by giving them practical, useful information, and your book is one of those things, that's lawyers, another $5. <laughs> lawyers, but lawyers who, who want to have a website today, it doesn't cost a lot of money. What's the most effective thing that you would tell them, the one thing that you think is most important about their website? No-brainer. I want to add to that. And yes. I want you to think about maybe solo, small, mid-sized oh, firms yeah. that don't have giant budgets, but they need this. And like, what's the thing? Like, what would you we say? We have this conversation. So, you know, at GNGF, we do, we do a lot of CLEs every what, year. What's so. GNG Nama? GNGF. That's okay. our company. And so. it is GNGF. GNGF. Get, get noticed, get found. <laughs> Gnuff, Gnuff. Yep. Gnuff. 
Gnef. Gnef. Make sure you understand how to pronounce it's, it. It's Finnish. It's Finnish for right, something. Exactly. Uh, Scandinavian. Scandinavian, actually. Thank you. Thank Those you. Those crazy Scandinavians. We, yeah, we, we have this conversation all the time because people are like, well, look, I don't have like a bazillion dollars in my budget. I'm not a big firm or I only practice elder law and I'm, you know, solo. And I, I, I still know I need a website. What do I do? And, and every time we have this conversation, and this, this is not because he is sitting here, but we send everybody to Avo. So Avo has a website platform. I think in Thank March, you. I think in March of last year, I was actually the number one salesman for Avo for that month. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I, I sold wow. more. I like Avo that Rolex you're wearing because of that. Then, yeah. yeah, right. I, <laughs> nice I sold, gift. Well, because uh, it, what Avo is providing is a, a professional, mobile-friendly WordPress, easily optimized with built-in SEO. Built-in SEO. Now, it's not going to necessarily like start making it rain like crazy. But it's going to do what you need done, which is going to get you the right website presence you need to start with. Grow on that, develop it, get better, get more clients, get busier, and then come talk to an agency like ours. It's going to be a lot more expensive. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful place to start. And they, they really Excellent. do a bang-up job. And, and uh, we, we've, we've not heard complaints. And that's, that's a good sign. Right. Thank you, Jabez. Jack. You got a question for one of our other panelists and experts? This is pretty cool. Sure. Um, let me ask Ernie a question. Uh, my question to Ernie would be, in talking, paperless is kind of like the cloud, where I'm surprised at how how much paper lawyers still It's astonishing. Out of, yeah. you know, you still see filing cabinets full of paperwork oh, in lawyers' offices, and I'm wondering... In your conversations around going paperless, what do you find to be the main friction point why, as to why there's still so much paper sitting around? You know, it's an interesting question because I, when I first discovered this, I thought, wow, this makes my life so much easier. All I have to do is show them and let them see it. But the problem, I think, for lawyers is they, they're not sure that's okay to have some paper. So the big shift for me is I tell them, look, keep as much paper as you want. The goal here is not to be paperless. The goal is to be efficient. Having less paper will make you more efficient. The sooner you have less paper and the less paper you have, the more you'll see that. You, you know, you don't need to get rid of it all. You don't need to get rid of it all right away. Just get rid of some of it and then you'll see. And once they see that, I don't need to tell them anything more. They're, they're in, you know, and they're going to do it and they're going to commit. But they just need permission to know that, yes, you can keep paper. So I tell them, it's fine. I give them the sign so, of the cross. So that, go that's forth. interesting. They, they look at it as an all or nothing proposition yeah, 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 to start that, with and you just kind of ease them into it. That was the stumbling block yeah, for some yeah. reason. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and as, a, as a consultant that goes around and spends a lot of time inside law firms. One of the best tips I can give lawyers when it, when it comes to like trying to figure out where to start is, here, here's a simple rule. If it came in digital, keep it in digital. All right, if it was never a piece of paper, don't print out your emails. Don't make it don't a piece of paper. Like it's so yes. simple. I, you know, and, and there's a funny thing, when um, Microsoft Office released a couple versions ago, it sort of hid the print button, right? So I was doing this big rollout at a big law firm and this attorney came like, you know, rolling into the office. He was so mad into this training room and he goes, I can't find the print button. And I said, where? And he says, Outlook. And I said, oh yeah, they took it away. Microsoft decided there is absolutely no reason for anybody to ever print an email. That's really dumb. And of course I was totally kidding, but the guy was horrified and I had to explain, no, no, it's here, they, you know, it's kind of gone. But really think about it. Why would you print an email? Why? So that's my, my tip. Toby, do you have a question? Yeah, I have a question for Mark, actually. Excellent. Um, I, my question was for you. <laughs> Ooh, oh, we're going to do a question so, off. Okay, there question off. 
So I was I was actually impressed and a bit fascinated by your your app, your One Touch GC app, I'll call yes. it. What are you um, talking about? Tell the rest of us who don't know what you're talking um, about. In his presentation, he talked about how uh, services are becoming easier to get to and such, and and they have an app that with Auto One Touch. Advisor. Yeah, you can get you can get legal advice. Um, I, I think that's very interesting. I'm wondering what kind of traction and the nature of that traction in the market. What, what, how much is it getting used and how is it being used? Like what kind of questions and that kind of stuff? Well, we, we compare everything to our core product, which is so large that advisor is small in comparison. But we have over a thousand lawyers that are signed up for the advisor service. Tell us about advisor service for people who don't know what it is. Well, actually, uh, Adriana, everyone knows what advisor <laughs> is, but still, let's I'll assume just, someone okay. just crawled out from under a rock. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, as I mentioned in my speech. It's very Uber esque for those that understand Uber or Lyft, and that um, it should be that. So we've had a dream at Avo from the beginning that a legal checkup should be as common and as well understood as a medical checkup. I love and, this. Preventative measures. Exactly. And the only way that you can deliver or, or get the consumer to think about any service in that way is ubiquity, right? It has to be there at their fingertips. And so as we move more into mobile, the ability for someone on their phone to push a button and have a lawyer call them back in 15 minutes, that's what Avo does. Uh, that's what Avo Advisor does. The dream is that I would actually like to have, whether it's the dash of your car or in your phone or whatever digital device you have, the minute you need a lawyer, they should be able to show up. And so you, you, you have a thousand lawyers on the back end of that waiting. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Is that enough? Do you need more? Um, so as we grow consumer demand, so the biggest thing... And, and I just want to tell you why I'm asking me, this. Because I'm, I'm about I have, to bring brilliance <laughs> and you just go ahead and interrupt. But the reason I'm asking is I constantly get asked, aren't there too many lawyers? But I feel like there are. there's this need that's not being met and I wonder if you're going to say to me, no, at some point we're going to need more. Yeah, so the idea, anyone who feels that there are too many lawyers, I want to put them in a headlock and wrestle them onto the ground. I mean, when you have 50% of medium to high income consumers who are not using lawyers, that are trying to go down the do-it-yourself route, and then lawyers are leaving the profession, it is only because lawyers are not interacting with that target audience That's in right. any intelligent way. And so the, the massive disconnect, whether we talk about it from an access to justice point of view, or we talk about it from a technology point of view, or putting money in lawyers' pockets point of view, there is so much work to be done, and I, I look at Avo as central to that as far as getting in between and helping lawyers, needy lawyers, and these needy consumers to interact. And so, quite, so to Toby, to answer your question, in any of our products, it's never getting the lawyers signed up that's the challenge. It's helping the consumers understand that we'll actually deliver at the level or at, that's consistent with our promise. And so like the biggest wow factor that you get out of Avo Advisor is when somebody pushes that button and a lawyer calls them back in 15 minutes and actually helps uh, orient them to their legal issue. That is when like the, the net promoter scores on this product are higher than any product. What does net that, promoter score mean? So uh, it's a fancy way. You said that saying, earlier, Jack, so I just want to. It's a fancy way of saying that you are trying to be empirical and methodical in measuring how happy someone is with your product. And there's a lot of thinking, there's a lot of science around that, but ultimately it's just how happy are people? How are they rating your product? And so, yes, it is a successful product, 
But again, you're talking about in our core product, which is our directory and our Q&A, 10 million people coming through. We don't have 10 million people using Advisor yet. So I, I have a question now, which I get to have because I'm the host and I kind of get to do what I want. But I'm wondering, Carolyn, from your perspective as the solo, when you hear about things like Avo Advisor and Avo, how does that make you feel? Do you, are you pro, are you against? Do you want to punch the guy next to you right now? Or are you like, wow, you're helping clients that I would never help? Well, on pro competition, the thing is, is I sort of feel like there's enough out of the box tools that if I wanted to start my own Avo Answers, I could do it myself. And you um, should. And, yeah, I, I mean, the other thing is, is the types of clients who would come to me, I get a lot of questions about eminent domain and pipeline cases. They wouldn't, probably would not be calling Avo this is anyway. important. This so, is important. Yeah, and something like that, I mean, I have thought about setting that up. I've thought about doing everything. I just don't have time. The, the problem is just having the time as and the resources And the research, and the millions of dollars. It, but, but see, you don't, to, set, to just set it up and put it out there, you really don't need the resources. I could just hack a Rainmaker platform and put a button there and a self-scheduler and just have people punch and sign, you know, pay $350 or $35 or whatever I decide to charge them and then make an appointment and call me on the phone. It really, all the stuff is out of the box now. Even three years ago, it would have been like thousands of dollars to set something up like that. But no, you're right. I wouldn't, in my field, I have the bandwidth because I'm known, but no, if I were just like doing, uh, you know, a drunk driving attorney or an immigration attorney where there's more competition and more noise, you know, then going to the Avo platform, I would probably have a better chance of, of getting found. Um, I don't think there's a problem with, you know, if you have underutilized capacity, then, you know, I mean, it doesn't diminish the value of the services. Airplanes do it all the time. I mean, if they have seats that are open, they're going to sell them for less. I mean, there's a, a bottom line to where they'll go. Right, You're never right. going to find a seat for $59 on a plane, but you might get a ticket for $200, whereas the going rate is 400 So like with Avo, it's not like Mark selling a phone call for 15 minutes for $39 is going to mean that every lawyer is going to have to charge $39 right. to, I think to this sell is important services. too. Yeah. yeah one, this is Jabez. One thing I find interesting, we, we were having this conversation about websites like four or five years ago, still, where lawyers were like, I just don't think anybody goes to the internet to look up legal related <laughs> things. And that conversation was happening over and over and over. So tired. And the same thing happened when email came out and people were like, why would I use email? Right. Why wouldn't I just go down the hall and knock on the door and say hi? And now we can't live without email. The same, we're seeing those shifts happen more rapidly. And so when we look at something like a click to call, and I think as a business owner who is not a lawyer, and I Me think too. of these weird random problems that I might be having that don't really, and I don't really want to get my lawyer involved. It's cheaper, way cheaper to me to do something like that. And, you know, I, I, I just see that as, oh, that's interesting. That, that's actually something I might use that you may not expect me to use. Like, you may not think that you would use it, but you would probably be surprised at what your actual client yeah. base would actually do. So I, I actually have a question for you, Javaz. I assume, I don't know that it much about It was only one your, question yeah, per person. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm out of answers. I don't know that much about your company, but I assume Gnif. that you provide in part copy, Gnif. Gnif. is that okay? Gnif. Copywriting Gnif. services for attorneys. And so, you know, a lot of times people will ask me as an attorney for referrals to other clients. And when I go to websites and I don't have 
confidence that an attorney has written, lawyers. Uh, uh, referrals yeah, to other lawyers right to other okay, lawyers sorry. so somebody might ask me to refer them to a divorce attorney or a probate attorney and i might not know somebody so i'll do some searches on the web i'll go to a website they either don't have any articles they've written or any scholarship or any cases that i can find or they might have a blog that was clearly like written for seo optimization and i don't really have any desire to refer them at all. So I guess I'm curious about, you know, at the same time, I do understand, you know, if you're an attorney marketing to consumers, maybe your target is different. So I guess I'm wondering whether you have ever considered um, whether the types of ways that uh, you portray a site to potential consumers whether that has any impact on potential attorney referrals and really whether it matters at the end of the day anyway. It definitely matters. I think that you should be concerned with your referral base and where that referral base comes from. And so if the referral base is also including other lawyers, you know, we have licensed attorneys on staff to write content specifically for that scenario because you're right, a lawyer's going to read and want different information than a consumer. And so you should, if that, and only if, that is actually somewhere you get business from. Not on the off chance you might get business from another lawyer, and if it just really isn't a frequency, it's not happening very often, we generally recommend stick to the consumer-based messaging, make it easy for them to understand, try to get rid of as much legalese as you possibly can, and make it readable and enjoyable. Um, if you have, and we have several clients that do have both sides of the fence, they have a lot of consumers and they have a lot of lawyers, or really sophisticated buyer too, you do have to take that into account when you're thinking about the kind of content you're going to create. Great question. Great question. Mark, you got a question to throw out there? I did, I'm going to throw it right back at Toby. Right, this is the question off. Fire away. This is exciting. So when I made partner in a big law firm, one of the things that fascinated me right out of the gates was how it was not one big cohesive unit. Uh, They never are. To the contrary, there was a lot of fragmentation in both, you know, depending on how much revenue a partner drove, but the conversation was often broken up to a point that getting consensus for the whole firm was really hard. So then you had the overlay of an executive committee that helped with that. Um, but still, you know, you have this group of independent contractors that are the assets of the company that are deciding what you do collectively. And so in your position, especially as it relates to technology, how how does that work? How do you, so for the, for the law firm marketer, for the law firm technologist that is trying to effectuate change in their firm, what are some of the things that you can do in order to get all of those cats kind of herded in the right direction so that they're making, they're, they're learning about technology, they're getting smarter about it, and they're making strong decisions based on being informed? Well, I would say the number one thing is that I... One of my critiques of technology, especially in large firms, is it's solutions in search of problems. Because we'll say, oh, we've, we could use a wiki or we could do whatever it is, and we say this would be very valuable in these scenarios. Where I, what I am doing differently is I am getting deeply embedded in the practices and with the partners. I, I, they are my customer. I want, in fact, I travel a lot in it so I can be in front of them. And what I want to do, it's just like in, in my presentation, I talked about understanding the you know, outside counsel's drivers. I want to understand my partner's drivers. I want to hear what their pain is and their practice, and then come back and say, I think this technology 
will reduce your pain. I mean, that's what I'm doing right now. I'll tell you one of the top pains right now is access to financial information. And so I have, your dashboard. Yeah, I have just rolled out a system. It's called Umbria, and it is real-time, immediate access. How Italian of you. To client. Quite Italian. <laughs> Did you build it? No, no. We uh, outside a, company called okay. Prosperaware has built this. Um, oh, we are the right. first law firm on it. Um, but I'll tell you, I have never had a technology experience like this at a firm. I have personally trained most of the first wave, and I go in their office, and they'll usually get out of their chair, and I said, "No, sit down." Right. Tell them how to get into it. And there's a point, and I've got a kind of a running joke with my staff, that when they can drill down and see all the time entries, nine times out of ten, they literally say, wow. And I have never rolled out technology and had, I, I had a partner sit me down and say, thank you. That's he right. said, I, I'm grateful for what you've done. I can't believe you did this. And so, I mean, yeah, and, you know, all, all kinds of warm fuzzies for me. But what I did was understand their problem and solve it. It wasn't, in fact, I, I wrote an article recently on technology innovation, and I said, all this really interesting stuff, which I still talk about, where I'm getting my biggest success is taking known technology and making it usable, understandable. The UI, in fact, when I train them on this, the, to use the product is not what the questions are about. The questions are about what am I looking at and what does it mean? So to me, I, I have nailed it. I have nailed it with that. So back to your main question, no, you know, and you you know this. In he your actually business, ended know the his question with the answer. <laughs> he said, he did. "Informed." <laughs> and for me, sorry to interrupt, but having worked, We're used to it. I know I do. As am I. I'm, a, I'm an interrupter. <laughs> having worked at two of Florida's largest law firms before I became a consultant and all that stuff, the one thing that I found success in those with those attorneys was just communicating to them that in that that. T information, teaching them about the technology we either already had or we were giving them and why we were giving it to them and having them just be able to access it and have information. So I think it's interesting that, so you're big firm, big, you're like, you're empires, we're right? We're like 32 yeah. or something you're, on the you're end You're empires, list. Yeah. right? And you're giving them real-time information. But then I think about what Jack's company does for solos and smalls and his company and your products also deliver real time. Like if you're using, and Carolyn, do you have a practice management program that you use? Well, I was too far ahead of the curve. No, I'm just saying I, I had started, before the law practice management platforms came out, I was using things like yeah. Basecamp and okay. Facebook. So I just, I still cobble them together. I don't use any of the, my, I don't use my case or Clio. Just be, I, we, I we've been trying to get Carolyn yeah, to switch for years. I, you okay. know, and I keep, Five years, I think. I, I keep thinking about it, but it always seems like an They're overlay They're going to make it so easy for you. <laughs> that, I, no, that I have just because you, you get, the one problem is you do get locked into things. You do, and yeah. We all get stuck. Yeah, we all but get it has, it, they've come so, so far, yeah. and I don't really keep up with them, and I know that, you know, eventually, you know, with the data tracking tools, that's very appealing. You know, so, I would, if I might jump in, I would please. say this, and Jack doesn't know this, I actually called his company when I started down this path to see if they could solve my problem. Oh, really? Yeah. But... Well, and this is something, you know, to the, I'm assuming the audience here is a bit more. Number 32 on the AMLAW list, we don't solve your problems <laughs> yet. But no, which, which was, which I think is a good answer. But the point right. is, is We're that no one makes software like Clio for me. And so I had to go, actually, I went and talked Prosperaware into building this. That's great. And, and they're now, firms are lined up to buy it. But I think for the solo small firm market, the, the products These tools exist. are there. It's, so what I, what I want our listeners to know is, 
you don't have to be 32 on the MLA no. list to have this information and be able to make smart decisions about your practice. It's It can cost you 50 or $60 a month, learn how to use it, take advantage of it. So anyway, Jack, let me give you a chance to jump in, I'm sorry. I'm not sure there's a question there, Adriana. I got, I got a question for Jack. <laughs> okay, sure. Best. No, what, you know, I'm amazing. I agree we, with everything you said. Yeah. yeah. We get asked a lot about like the moving to the cloud and, and practice management software and oh my gosh, I just don't think I can handle it. I feel like there there's a little bit of an overwhelmed feeling, like they're just not quite they feel like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be crazy. like Ernie talked about how don't try to go paperless all at once with everything. What what are the the easiest steps or the ways that you you know can help people understand what, how to overcome those fears? Or like, what are the things that hold people back from actually choosing to do it? And, and there's gotta be, I mean, you guys have to have figured out how to communicate to them why it's not actually that hard. Yeah, it's so, time. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a good question. I, I think it's time and awareness. So what I find, what I find constantly surprising at events, events like this here in Florida is that the awareness level around what technology can deliver to the average lawyer, the average solo or small firm, is, is not at the same level across the country by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, I, saw, I saw people even in the, we did a little lunchtime demo of Clio showing how you can use Clio Connect to send a document to a client to get that document paid. And it was really interesting hearing the feedback from right. people in the audience where they were saying, you know, people were like lighting up wow, during the demo exists? saying, yeah, that exists, yeah, that's possible? insane, that's great. And so I think part of the answer to your question, Jabez, is that awareness is a, a big piece of the equation here. It's education, it's events like this that raise lawyers' awareness around what's out there and what's possible. I don't think there's a lot of lawyers that look at what's possible and are actively kind of refusing it as something they want to embrace. They just don't know what's out there. I, I agree or they with think you. if it's out there that it involves a huge step in cost and effort. Like the old days. Right. Like just just five or six years ago that was the case where, you know, if Carolyn was out six years ago shopping for a practice management solution, she couldn't find she a was thing. looking at a list yeah. of hard to use products yeah, that were expensive and time consuming to and implement. And not built for lawyers. And so that's not, always one of my well, things. No, lots of them were built for lawyers, but they were still hard to use and expensive. <laughs> but I, I really think that's, you know, it's honestly the state of affairs in 2008. And, and the world is much different in 2015. And I don't think lawyers have quite realized how accessible all right. of this technology is. You mentioned Avo, Avo websites, Avo, Avo Ignite, how easy it is to create Advisors. a website. I think. There's an Ignite product as well. Oh my God, Jacks how many products to, do you people have? Jeez. About 80. <laughs> the, you like to keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever Avo does. Right. Lawyers still aren't sure. I'm, I'm still not sure and you're still not sure, obviously. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So there's education to be done here, but, but I, I think they don't realize how easy it is to get up and running of the website that is SEO optimized. Yeah. They think that there's the same $10,000 investment that might have been involved as there was in 2008 in getting up and running. So I think the friction is so low now and the, 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 the step in cost is so low now, but most lawyers don't understand just how low it is. I think so I, you, just, you know, to, you know just I, to draft you, behind that for one second, and this, uh, I, this would be particular to your product. They also have been sold, like the, the box of rocks that have, have been sold to attorneys over the years 
to where the marginal cost was so low for these suppliers or these vendors, and yet they were charging these outrageous Yeah, I was going to say that. Sums. Even though there yeah. are legal specifics, they were expensive for solos and smalls. Absolutely. Exactly. And so the muscle memory is that, I mean, you get where they get it. It's there, because There's a lot for, of scar tissue exactly. in the industry. I, and, so, right? and, and so what develops with that is this idea that if you're only going to charge, like, what is a seat on Clio cost? It's like $60, $70 okay. a month. Yeah. Th- that it can't be great because LexisNexis is trying to charge me 7000 Right. And so, but teaching them, like, you want to put them together and go, look at how much more robust Clio is for $70 because we're not selling the box rocks. And that's, it, it takes a long time to get through that scar tissue. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. Ernie, you were going to say something. Well, and actually, I was, I was thinking about you. Yeah, remind me when we... I was going to say, it's kind of interesting because even if you don't have scar tissue, I think the problem with technology is there's no rubbernecking with technology. Nobody's driving down the street going, oh my God, look at that amazing technology because it, it doesn't exist in physical space. It's inside of a computer terminal. And I would say that um, the thing that differentiates, I think, people like us is we're curious. So, you know, I was curious. I needed to understand this stuff, so I played with it. If somebody had described it to me, I wouldn't have gotten it either. And I still don't get some technology. Somebody will say to me, oh, did you hear about this app that does this thing? Oh, yeah, I heard about it. And then they'll show it to me. I go, oh my God, it's amazing. Well, the description was given to me. I should have been aware when, you know, like when Uber was described to me. I said, oh, that sounds really cool, kind of, but I don't really get it. When I used an Uber, completely different experience. And I think that's the thing that's missing is if you're not using it, you don't have that oh wow effect. And the difference between people like us is that we go looking for that stuff, we're curious, but so we assume that other people are curious too, they're busy. And I, I, I think it's a perfect point. Even if they are curious, your average solo small firm is so heads down just running their business, they don't have the opportunity to pop up right. and kind of look around. So there, there's, I don't think any ignorance or deliberate uh, you know, head in their in the defense, sand I kind say this of, all the time. Kind of attitude. I, I think it's just, you know, we need to take full advantage of opportunities like this to kind of show what's possible and show what hailing an Uber cab looks like and how awesome that experience is and have the light bulb go off and hopefully they go home and, and check out what's out there. And by the way, I was sitting next to somebody when you did your lunch and learn demo of your Clio product and they were saying, oh my God, this is amazing. And I thought, do you not know about how, this? How do you not know this exists? How do you exists? not know? But they don't know, and if they don't see it, they don't. It doesn't matter how much you say to yeah. them, or they read read articles. They have to see it. That, that's another five bucks, Ernie. Thank you. <laughs> Ernie's paying out big time. Yeah, up here. he is really. So I, we're we're kind of running out of time, but I just there's whenever we have conversations like this, and especially when Ernie's around, I think about one thing, and that's Katrina, right? Because so Ernie's from New Orleans for our listeners that don't know, and. I will say, people, we're always trying to predict the future of technology and law, and like where we are now is fine. But I think Katrina was a major factor in, in the legal profession turning the corner to accepting a lot of these technologies. And I believe that. I was there, you know, Ernie and I have been friends for a really long time. And what happened, which was weird, so 10 years ago, this conversation would not have been happening. Katrina happened, and then that, even though it was this little part of the country, it really affected the entire legal community. Remember, like, what it was like? We all said, oh, I have a friend in New Orleans. I have a friend in a law firm. And we all, like, descended all of our resources, and, our, and, and, and this weird thing happened. And, I, and it's really one of my biggest theories, and it might be dumb and stupid, but I watched it happen. 
That thing is what, in my opinion, made a lot of these conversations possible when lawyers would go, oh man, these big firms. Well, and, and Ernie, and, there's and, nobody better who could yeah, talk I mean, about in our this firm, than you. So it goes back to what I'm saying. Ernie though. was with a big firm in New yeah, Orleans. I was in the big firm, and but what happened was we were forced out of our comfort zone world, right? So we, the firm I was at had four offices. So the lawyers had to leave the New Orleans office and go to other places. And they were all just- All over. All over. So like, like hey, you, Ernie, you go to Houston. Okay, somebody go to Baton Rouge. But now we had to collaborate virtually. So my secretary was in Houston, but I was in Baton Rouge. And everybody was subjected to this simultaneously. We had to learn how to text message. There were partners who didn't know how to attach things to emails who quickly oh, learned because that's how don't. you had to deliver the product to the, the client uh, or to the to the secretary and so we learned real fast because we had to that's what we happened ha- and and honestly that's when the conversation changed for me as as a consultant that has been walking around in law firms and i spent a lot of time in law firms that was the time where i could actually point to an event that every lawyer could relate to like holy crap all of a sudden I don't have my resources. And I think that was unfortunately a huge catalyst. And here we are 10 years later and still talking about how it was five years ago. So it took like five years after that to get to this. So are you saying we need another Katrina? No, as we definitely. As long as it doesn't come to Houston. Do not. But <laughs> I'm just saying the legal profession's a little slow to adopting technology. We're slow and we need major catastrophic events to turn things. But I feel like the corner has been turned and these conversations are so interesting. And I can't thank each of you enough for, for taking time where we should all be including Jack at the Clio reception enjoying libations from Clio. So before I let everyone go, I just want to give each of you an opportunity to sort of tell us how we can stalk you on the internet if we're interested in learning more. And why don't we start with Ernie? We'll go the other way. Just Google Ernie the attorney. Uh-huh. It's easy. I have a blog you that do. I always you forget to mention. Blog. It's called Three Geeks and a Law Blog. Three and you, Geeks and a Law Blog. And you can How's find me. How's blog spelled on Law Blog? I don't know. I'd have oh, to ask geek number one. Blog. I'm only number two. Okay. Three Geeks and a Law Blog. <laughs> it's blog, B-L-O-G. Okay. Thanks. So I'm Jack, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jack underscore Newton. Uh, we have a the Clio blog that I'll, I'll follow Ernie's advice and just say Google Clio blog <laughs> follow the first link that'll probably uh, hit pay dirt excellent because my name is virtually impossible to spell uh, even for myself I and just, your company Ganef 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 but that is probably <laughs> the easiest place to track me down which is just the letter G N G F dot com so get noticed get found um, and if you can manage to spell Jabez Labret that's pretty much which my is actually how it everything. sounds it's Jabez Labret Okay. To find Mark Britton, uh, similar to Jack, is Twitter's the best way. Mark underscore Britton. Uh, B-R-I-T-T-O-N. Yes, I, I feel you. free, Mark. You've got the underscore as well. Isn't that yeah, awkward? It's actually great from an SEO perspective. But oh, I didn't know that. Okay. There you go. But um, also, if you want to meet in person, come see us in Seattle or our Lawyernomics Conference, which is April 6th and 7th at the Wynn 2016. It's awesome. And, and tell me what Lawyeronomics Conference focuses on. Uh, that intersection of business and law. So fun, we, fun it's, intersection. it's a great conference. What about you, Carolyn? Uh, Carolyn Elephant. You can uh, my blog is myshingle.com. Elephant at myshingle.com or on Twitter at at Carolyn Elephant. Well, thank you all so much. I probably took up 
more time than I should have in your evenings. But really, this has been amazing and so interesting. Really appreciate it. And again, we just want to thank Cleo for bringing us all together yes. and making this opportunity possible. For all our listeners out there, make sure you uh, follow PRI and Legal Talk Network on the various outlets that are available to you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next time. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 